It's time to start flipping tables. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. We are joined today by a Democratic superstar, Representative James Tallarico of Texas. He has been our guest here before on Lights On, and he has just been such a powerful voice rebuking the hypocrisy of Christians in name only in his state in the Texas legislature. He is eyeing a possible statewide run in 2026 and is just involved in such uh, so many of the hot button issues in Texas, really ground zero for the fight against fascism and to protect our democracy. I'm so honored and grateful to be joined by James Tallarico today. Welcome back to, to Lights On, James. So great to have you back. Thanks for having me back. So we, as, as you join us today, we have this just inundation of bad news coming out of the Supreme Court. Yesterday, they overturned affirmative action. Today, they are rescinding um, protections for LGBTQ plus, the LGBTQ plus community in the name of freedom of speech. Um, they, it's just an extreme Supreme Court playing out an, an aggressive um, agenda that I think is it has to be called out. Can you talk to us about where, where you stand on this, James? Yeah, you know, this is a, a, a dark week in the history of our democracy. Um, Democrats have won the last um, seven of uh, the last eight presidential elections. And so the popular will to protect LGBTQ Americans, to relieve student debt, to ensure we have diversity in our institutions of higher education is there yet our highest court doesn't reflect that public will. And so we've got to recognize the ways in which our, our political system is deeply broken and how uh, the Republican Party in particular has abused um, some of our rules in the United States Senate, like the filibuster, uh, or our norms, like the ability of a president to nominate their own Supreme Court justice in the case of Merrick Garland, and recognize how that has put us in a situation where you have a minority ruling over the majority. And that's exactly what this week showed in uh, in the radical extreme Supreme Court rulings that we received just in the last 48 hours. I think the country is just getting to know you um, a lot more over the past few weeks. I know uh, a lot of the country got to know you a few years ago when you um, broke quorum with your colleagues and came to Washington and and um, just really gave it to them the way they deserve on Fox News, calling out their hypocrisy. And um, I want to just highlight because I I, I watched went back and watched some of your content. Um, one I wanted to highlight a a speech you gave and some things that I think are just hitting right on the moment we're facing right now now from about a year ago at the Texas State Democratic Convention. If you don't mind, Brett, can we play that clip? Meet this moment before it's too late. If we've learned anything from history, it's that fascism, whether in 20th century Europe or the Jim Crow South or Putin's Russia, can't be stopped by playing nice or playing safe. Our democracy is more than a constitution. It's a covenant a relationship between neighbors, a promise that we make to each other to share this country. Some of our neighbors are breaking that promise with every suppressed vote, every stolen court seat, and every stormed capital step. Breaking promises in a relationship is not love, it's abuse. And my mother taught me that true love doesn't tolerate abuse. 
2,000 years ago, when the powerful few abused the many, that barefoot rabbi walked into the seat of power and flipped over the tables of injustice. His love rose to meet abuse without becoming it. To those who love democracy, it's time to start flipping tables. Okay, so I may have stolen your line to open the show. <laughs> but we really have to, we, we, can't, um, we can't hold back in this fight. We really have to come with the same energy, the same love, with the same force and, and rebuke to this fascism, these, uh, these sheer power grabs in fighting back for our freedom, don't we? That's exactly right. Uh, you know, I mentioned my mom in, in that clip that you showed. Uh, I was born to a single mom who fled abuse to protect me. Um, and um, she was a preacher's daughter from South Texas. She came up to Austin, Texas when she was just 19. And she met my birth father, 21-year-old high school dropout, whose drinking problem sometimes led to violence. And one night he became abusive again. And that night, my mother's love rose to meet that abuse, and she packed all my stuff, all her stuff, put it in her little Ford Escort, and she drove us to the hotel where she worked, begged the manager to let us stay in one of the rooms until we could find a little apartment in East Austin. So, you know, my my life started with a, a single extraordinary act of love, and it proves to me that love is not passive, it's not weak, it doesn't sit on the sidelines. Uh, that's what my mother taught me. It's what my faith teaches me. And I think it's what those who have fought for democracy in our history have taught us. And so I, it's incumbent upon all of us to, to get in the game, uh, whether it's through supporting a candidate, whether it's for running for office yourself, whether it's calling your elected officials, starting an organization, organizing a rally. You have to do something uh, to save this democracy of ours. And I'm, I want to talk to you more about what you're eyeing to really save that, maybe on a statewide level in Texas. But I'm so glad you mentioned your mom. I, I, I encourage our luminaries go check out James' YouTube page because he, you'll, you'll get to see all these incredible stories he shares. And I, I listen to that story of you and your mother and your, her creating a nursery for you and literally in a closet. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the daughter of a single mother too, and you better believe we've struggled. And, and um, it's such a, it's a beautiful story, and also how your mother, I think, had the support of Planned Parenthood and really instilled in you from a young age that the Democrats were the ones working for the people. I mean, I wish I had this uh, you know, knowledge years ago, but you've had it from childhood as a Christian Democrat, knowing, wait a minute, the Democratic Party is the party of the people. They're the ones that are really fighting for us. That's right. You know, she was a seventh generation Texan, which makes me an eighth generation Texan. And back when I was young, you know, Texas Democrats were leading not only our state, but leading the country, frankly, in fighting for progressive values. And you think of Ann Richards, you think of Barbara Jordan, you think of Bob Bullock. I mean, these titans in our party and in our, our state's uh, history really show us the path forward. We have to be as gutsy and scrappy and tough as those Texas Democrats. And that's that's exactly what my Mother told me when I was five years old, she looked at me and she said, we're Democrats because Democrats are for the people. And that stuck with me, obviously stuck with me to this day. And that's why I'm a proud Democrat in the Texas House. And and Democrats are for 
the people, while Republicans are for their wealthy donors time and time and time again. You know, this is one thing that I used to buy into um, with this whole propaganda about Democrats being socialists and, um, you know, wanting to create a welfare state. You know, they, they're they so good. I got to tell you, James, the propagandists on the right are so good at pitting struggling people against other struggling people. While there is literally institutional welfare for the most rich and powerful in this country. I mean, we started off talking about the SCOTUS ruling um, that's basically legalizing discrimination and ending affirmative action. They also blocked Biden's student loan forgiveness. Uh, One thing that Biden said today in response to um, a reporter's question, he said, my program is too expensive. The average amount forgiven in the PPP pandemic loan program um, was $70,000, okay? Now a kid making $60,000 is trying to pay back his bills asking for $10,000 of relief. Come on, this hypocrisy is stunning. And of course that underscores the fact that nearly $700 billion in PPP loans were forgiven to businesses, despite the allegations of rampant fraud in that program, many of those loans were given to Republican lawmakers themselves. Um, isn't the hypocrisy just outrageous? Yeah, you know, I'm, I, I serve as one of the youngest elected officials in the state of Texas. And so I know how the rising cost of higher education and how crippling student debt has really shackled my generation from being able to chase our dreams be able to to buy a home, start a family, build a new business, grow our economy. And it's all because the Republican Party is intent on closing the doors of opportunity for young people across this country. And you know, this, this latest ruling is just a clear example of that. Um, this is also personal, both this, this uh, student loan decision as, as well as the affirmative action decision, because Before I was an elected official, before I was a politician, I was a middle school teacher. And I taught sixth grade language arts at Rhodes Middle School on the west side of San Antonio. And if there's any folks uh, who are watching from San Antonio who know San Antonio, you know the west side is this beautiful, historic Mexican-American neighborhood. And it's also one of the poorest zip codes in the state of Texas. So I only taught black and brown students the entire time I was in the classroom. And I watched as my students struggled, not just to to be a middle schooler, which is hard enough, but struggled to overcome poverty, overcome racism, overcome these systems that have been designed over decades to hold them and hold their families back. And so this, this decision, both on the affirmative action case and the student debt case, are gonna are gonna keep the doors closed to students like mine and to kids on the west side of San Antonio and across this state and country, frankly. And so I, I, this is offensive to me, not just as a, as a young person, but as a former educator. Yeah, and it, it's just in line with what they did yesterday, basically, um, you know, uh, I guess by fiat. I loved what Katanji Brown-Jackson said in her dissent of that affirmative action ruling. Um, she said, 
just pulling it up here, with let them eat cake obliviousness. Today, the majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all by legal fiat. But deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. And having so detached itself from this country's actual past and present experiences, the court has now been lured into interfering with the crucial work that UNC, in this case, the plaintiff and other institutions of higher learning are doing to solve America's real world problems. You know, I know, James, you have been um, vocal in in suppressing or fighting back efforts to not educate children in Texas. You talked about your background as, a, as an educator about the history of racism. And this is another thing that I have had a major wake up call about because who doesn't want to be colorblind? You know, that is that is that is our um, that's the ideal, right? To not see color, to not to not stereotype and judge our fellow man, just to see them for what's in their heart. But the fact of the matter is that we have institutionalized systemic racism in this country that we need laws that we need the government to intervene in so that so that our society can be fair and societies that have been systematically marginalized and oppressed and denied opportunity can come out of that those confines yeah yeah that's exactly right and um you know in the texas house in the last legislative session texas republicans passed a bill to uh, ban Preferential treatment was how they described it um, on the basis of race in state universities. And before they passed that bill, I offered an amendment to also ban preferential treatment of any kids or grandkids of state legislators. I made the point that if we're going to if we're going to ban preferential treatment for those from disadvantaged backgrounds like my students on the west side of San Antonio, then we should go ahead and ban preferential treatment for those from advantaged backgrounds like the kids of, of state reps and state senators. The Republicans in the state legislature voted that amendment down. 76, a majority of the House voted against that amendment. So in essence, that proves what all of us have suspected all along, which is that they're against affirmative action unless it benefits themselves, unless it benefits the wealthy and the well-connected. And, and I think that's what you're getting at. You know, we we don't want a colorblind country. We want to appreciate our different backgrounds, uh, our different lived experiences, um, our different identities. That's what makes America beautiful, right? Out of many one, e pluribus unum. So we don't we don't want to be blind to our differences and to our history. We want to accept it, and we want to make sure there's equal opportunity for everyone, regardless of where you come from or the color of your skin. That's what we're shooting for. And this latest Supreme Court case takes us backwards, not forwards. Almost a year after rescinding Roe, which is another thing that you are just dealing with, the the effects of these extreme fascist policies on abortion. Um, this is this is what the conservatives, the Federalist Society, um, and I say conservatives, I use that term very loosely because there is nothing conservative about the Supreme Court. It's extremist activist, and um, I, let's just tease this and come back to it because I think you and I, like um, we talked about with your with your campaign um, manager, could could talk about this for a whole hour. We're going to come back to some of the Christian topics, yeah. but um, these these extremist judges have been have been lined up 
by the Federalist Society. And um, Donald Trump just did their bidding during his presidency. He forced these Supreme Court justices onto this court um, in his, you know, after he lost an election, put one more on after denying, like you mentioned, that seat to Merrick uh, Garland or after Mitch McConnell had denied that opportunity to Barack Obama to place Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court. Um, we have to fight back with these things. I know that you have, in that speech we highlighted from you, you were you were very forceful about what you thought the federal government could do um, to protect abortion rights in Texas just with federal power. Um, I happen to think that we need to expand the Supreme Court. This is a constitutionally available option. This is not a political option. They're, they're the political ones who have who have put these extremist activist judges in there and packed it in this manner. Um, what do you think we can do to fight back in this moment, James? You know, I think we have to look at every tool in our toolbox, and that should absolutely include court reform. Um, here in Texas, Democrats are in the minority in the House. We are in the minority in the Senate. We don't hold the governor's mansion or any executive department or agency we are completely out of official legislative power. But we still find ways every single day as Texas Democrats to slow down, weaken, or kill bad and dangerous legislation from our Republican colleagues because we use every tool in our toolbox, including the rules, including points of order, including you know tactics like quorum breaks, which is what we did in 2021 um, to stop the voter suppression bill. Eventually they were able to make it law, but not after giving us major concessions to protect communities' right to vote across the state of Texas. So I just want our federal counterparts, Democrats in DC who control the Senate and who control the White House and who controlled the House a few years ago, I want them to use the majorities they have, the real power they enjoy to save our democracy. And that has to include political reform, both to the court, but also to the filibuster, also to redistricting and gerrymandering and to voting rights. You know, we we went all the way to Washington, D.C. as Texas Democrats to beg them to pass a federal voting rights bill in the name of John Lewis, and they failed to do so, even when they controlled every branch of government. And, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon our leaders like Joe Biden to uh, vigorously call out these problems in our system. Um, we, we don't want to beat around the bush when it comes to the filibuster. We have to call it what it is, which is a Jim Crow relic holding our entire democracy, our entire country back every single day in Washington, D.C. So that's what I mean when I say look at every tool in the toolbox and be aggressive in our defense of democracy. Yeah. And speaking of Jim Crow relics and all of this, um, all of these cases that the Supreme Court decided to hear, I think that the one that we started off with um, that basically enables discrimination in the name of free speech was such such a um, outrageous case that the Supreme Court even took it. I mean, this is this the plaintiff in that case, um, an entity allegedly called Creative 303, did not even really do websites. I mean, they were maybe planning on doing websites. Um, the alleged uh, person who came to them to wanting a website for a gay wedding was reached out to. And this person is not even somebody who identifies as gay, as a, apparently a straight individual who's been married for years. And the Supreme Court gave them standing for this lawsuit. And at the same time, um, one of the cases that was denied even 
even a uh, review by the Supreme Court is it was a Mississippi case where there is a, another Jim Crow relic that's denying uh, ex felons the right to vote in Mississippi. I mean, this this has got to stop. You're right. We have to. I think we have to keep the outrage, keep the intent, uh, attention. The narrative has to be constant on these things that this is not normal. I mean, James in France, they were protesting in the street for weeks over a two-year change to the retirement age. Surely, surely we can get up in arms over what they're trying to do in this country to take away our freedoms. That's exactly right. And we should learn from our opponents, right? You just mentioned that um, the the right wing has been trying to make women second-class citizens in this country ever since Roe v. Wade became law in the 1970s. And, you know, they, they didn't give up right? Even when Roe was made the law of the land, they immediately got to work building a, a movement across this country to take us backwards. You know, they won school board elections, they won city council races, they won the state house races, and eventually won the White House. Granted, they used the electoral college to their benefit in order to subvert the popular will, but they won political power within the rules that we have, and therefore they've been able to to make these dramatic changes to our country that are contrary to, to the, the uh, majority in this country who support abortion rights. So we've got to have that same kind of persistence, that same kind of focus, that same kind of determination that's gonna last us for decades to come because these rights are, are not just given to us, they are hard won through people's blood, sweat, and tears. And we have to remember our history as progressives and recommit ourselves to do the actual work to win elections and save our democracy. Well, speaking of winning elections, um, you are known for being at one time the youngest member of the state legislature. Um, I, I know you flipped a seat in, in your suburb of Austin. Am I right about that from, from red to blue? Right. And you have, as we started off on this show with today, you have had such um, just, I think the soul and the passion and the authenticity that you bring to these fights um, it is something that has been resonating across the country. I know it's been resonating in your district and in Texas. Can you talk for a minute about what you are possibly eyeing statewide um, leading up to 2026, maybe? <laughs> well, you know, I, I am running for re-election to the Texas House, and so any future campaign is purely theoretical at this point. Um, but, you know, I, I've certainly want to have a statewide impact one day. I think I am, and I think my team has a lot to offer. Um, and so I'll, I'll certainly be interested in looking at that uh, one day. But right now I'm honestly focused on the special legislative sessions that are being called by Greg Abbott to essentially dismantle public education in the state. I hope we get a chance to talk about vouchers and some of these privatization efforts, but that is honestly taking up my full focus right now. Um, and and I'll, I'll think about future campaigns once I get past uh, this campaign. Yeah, well, okay, we won't push you too much. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. mention the political article that uh, that that featured your um, just a profile on you, your your work also as in in seminary, and um, that you are possibly uh, launching a, a pack later this year, big and bright pack to explore. I think um, I'll just say that I know a lot of us out here uh, would would definitely be interested in watching that and and are behind you, James. Um, 
But yes, let's talk about, you mentioned Greg Abbott. Can we talk for a minute before we go to break about this climate emergency that's going on in Texas? I think you're dealing with triple digit temperatures there. Um, I Just a few weeks ago, Governor Abbott signed a HB 2127 banning cities from mandating rest and water breaks for construction workers. Just a week later, um, a U.S. postal worker died, a utility lineman died of, of, from this heat. There have been... Um, many more deaths and Texas Republicans are just not addressing this in any way, shape or form, are they? No, and, and as you mentioned, we've had Texans die in this historic heat wave. One just died um, in Houston, a construction worker who was exposed to this extreme heat. And, you know, if you grew up in Canada, like Ted Cruz, or you grew up in Maryland, like our Lieutenant Governor, Dan Patrick, uh, or you grew up in, uh, in North Dakota, like Ken Paxton, you may think that Texas summers have always been this hot, but I'm an eighth generation Texan. My family's been here since it was Mexico. And I have fond memories of spending summer days just like this one, riding my bike all day long. And it was hot, but it wasn't this hot. The last eight summers have been the hottest summers in recorded history. Just in the last decade, Texans have faced historic droughts, devastating wildfires, five 500-year floods, and the worst winter storm in our state's history. So this, this historic heat wave is not the first climate disaster, and it will not be the last climate disaster. And you know, we as a state are the largest emitter of greenhouse gases in the country. And so if Texas got in the game in the fight against climate change, we could help steer our country and our world to a cleaner, greener, brighter future. And that's that's what I'm trying to, I've introduced legislation in the Texas House to marshal our state resources, to fight climate change, to set new emission standards, to invest in renewable energy. And none of those bills have received a hearing under the Republican leadership. And so I hope folks across the state are waking up to the fact that you know, we can't even keep the heat on when it's cold. We can't keep the air on when it's hot. And maybe our state leaders should be focused a little less on people's private parts and more focused on fixing the grid, investing in renewables and saving our state for future generations. The real work, the real work of public service, right? That's right. James, um, thank you so much for joining me. I, I know that you um, took some of our conversations that we had last time on Lights On and turned them into viral moments. So we may just do that again today, if you don't mind. I, I definitely wanna dive into um, your Christianity. You know, this is a very personal subject for me too, um, and how it applies to so many of the legislative efforts that, that face Texas and the country, quite frankly. But let's take a quick break for our sponsor and we'll be right back. We've all heard the famous line, try it free for 30 days. Yeah, well, that's just enough time to try it and then completely forget about it. In fact, over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. You could be wasting money and not even realizing it. Rocket Money helps you find those forgotten subscriptions so you can stop paying for ones you don't use. Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions, but the actual total is closer to $200. If you don't know exactly how much you're spending every month, you need Rocket Money. 
Rocket Money is a personal financial app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, and chances are you're one of them. Like that Stars app, just to watch one show, or that free gaming trial you never actually used. Rocket Money will quickly and easily find your subscriptions for you. And for any you don't want to pay for anymore, just hit cancel, and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. It's that easy. Rocket Money also helps you manage all your finances in one place and automatically categorize your expenses, so you can easily track your budget in real time and also get alerted if anything looks off. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash lights on. That's rocketmoney.com slash lights on. Rocketmoney.com slash lights on. So I have this theory, James, on a lot of politics, and to me, it really goes back to my um, my faith and my understanding of Christianity. Um, a lot of these forces out there, the politicians who are pursuing things um, hypocritically, disingenuously, really just for greed and power, are engaged in this zero-sum game version of politics. And I just don't think that the answers are in zero-sum game politics. I think that there are answers for all of us that are not zero-sum game. The climate emergency is one of them. I mean, we have answers to these these problems. We have renewable energies that we can turn to. We have so many, so many alternatives to destroying our planet and our, our God's creation that we are just not availing ourselves of because of greed and just ignorance. Um, there are solutions to these things that really bless everybody, aren't there? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I'm a Christian. My granddad was a Baptist preacher in South Texas. I'm currently at seminary studying to be a pastor too. Christian nationalists don't speak for me. Televangelists don't speak for me. The Duggars don't speak for me. And they don't speak for the millions of Christians around the world who practice the radical universal love of Jesus Christ. And many of us know that these quieter Christians exist, right? We have them in our own lives. And maybe they don't talk about their faith all the time, or maybe they don't even think of themselves as religious anymore, but they live their life as examples of love, whether it's our kindergarten teacher, or maybe it's a next door neighbor who always checks on us, or maybe it's leaders like Dr. King or Dorothy Day or, or Mr. Rogers who live their lives as proof of a loving God. And so it's incumbent upon those Christians to use their voice and to speak out against those who are trying to pervert our faith and subvert our democracy. I think that that we have a country and of not just Christians, but people of all faith who have witnessed this hijacking, who are just hungering and thirsting for this correction. 
Um, it, it has it has damaged, I think, the things, the bigoted, uh, the things that have been done in the name of Christianity that are so hateful and bigoted, bigoted have have destroyed families. They have um, alienated people from their faith communities. They have defamed people of faith in the eyes of other Americans um, who think that we're all enemies when we're really um, this is not the gospel of the, of, of the Christ. Um, but. I mean, we could just take this issue by issue. When we had you on last time, um, you, of course, came on after those horrific tragedies in Allen. It was near the one-year anniversary of Uvalde. Um, the Texas legislature, again, failed to pass any meaningful gun reform legislation. And this is such a serious issue. Um, can I talk to you, James, for a minute about gun culture? Because, you know, I think, I think we, have, we have a two-fold battle. And you are at the heart of it in the leg in the legislative work you do, and that is where the work must be done. Don't get me wrong; we must have laws, common sense gun laws. But I think there's also this gun culture that we have to address that has glorified guns, almost made an idol and a and a god out of out of weaponry itself. And this is such an anti-Christian concept to me, <laughs> is it not to you? Yeah, I mean, Jesus explicitly warns us about the dangers of violence on the Sermon on the Mound when he, he urges his followers to turn the other cheek um, and to use nonviolent means to confront violence and not to mirror the evil that we, we seek to defeat. And he explicitly tells his, his disciples who attempt to use weapons to achieve their means that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. I think he couldn't have uh, predicted this this gun culture that would become the leading cause of death for children in the United States and would lead to, to thousands of deaths every year uh, in our communities because of these readily accessible weapons of war. Um, you know, this is just one example, but Christian nationalists like to say that they want this to be a Christian nation. But if this was really a Christian nation, we would forgive student debt. If this was really a Christian nation, we would accept and love all of our LGBTQ neighbors. If this was really a Christian nation, we would ensure that every single child in this country and in this state was housed, fed, clothed, educated, and insured. And I, I would go further and say that if this was truly a Christian nation, we would never make it a Christian nation because we know that the table of fellowship is open to everyone, including our Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Sikh, and atheist neighbors. So I hope we remind our Christian nationalist opponents that they don't speak for Christianity and they don't reflect the faith that we all share. Absolutely. And I think we shared the sentiment last time that Christian nationalism is, in fact, an oxymoron That's because true. Christianity is a universal doctrine and does not limit itself or, uh, you know, define itself by nation, uh, nationhood. Um, so, James, yeah, one one of the things that I always share when it comes to, to, to guns and the Bible, just to clarify this, because I, when, especially after the insurrection and all of these people that came storming the Capitol um, for Donald Trump, this, this, this the, the, the idolatry is so blatant. I'm just like, friends, please wake up. I mean, there is one God. If you believe in if this is your faith, 
the one God is not Donald Trump. <laughs> please realign, please, please look at all of the admonition in the Bible. But there was a lot of discussion about um, people, I think, and non-Christians observing this and saying, oh, this is their concept of spiritual warfare coming to the to coming to the Capitol with violent intent to overthrow our government. And I, I I'm also so eager to correct that because spiritual warfare in my understanding of it is a completely spiritual endeavor there are no material weapons involved you know one of one of the favorite my favorite things from the bible is where it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Um, and the rest of that, the rest of that passage, I think, applies to so much of um, the the evil of politics. It says casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the power of God. But but warfare, spiritual warfare, doesn't involve AR-15s, does it, James? <laughs> no, and and, <laughs> and I, almost every great faith tradition in human history has um, has gifted us the wisdom of nonviolence, of using our example um, to overcome darkness. You know, the idea that um, that light can overcome dark, that hope can overcome despair, that life can overcome death is something common across all of our traditions. And for those who are Christian, they should remember that, you know, the, the barefoot rabbi we follow um, showed through his life and death and resurrection that um, nonviolence is the only way to to achieve a world of love. And so I, I would hope that anyone um, who thinks they can achieve their um, their political ends through violent means uh, needs to revisit some of the wisdom in our faith traditions. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that warfare also just it it, it it happens on an individual basis. I think so much, so many of the followers of this extreme MAGA movement have looked for identity in a, in this community that they have found there. And I and I don't identify with the violent part, but I do identify with the community part to the extent that I fell prey to it a few years back. And um, you know, I what I what I garner from my understanding of Christianity is is really. It's really a um, call to work on your relationship, your own oneness with God. And from every that, if you get that right, that your own individual atonement with with your creator, everything else emanates from that. You don't depend on a community or in this case, what has become a cult to yeah. guide your actions. You you rely on that higher principle and then then you can count on your footsteps being guided correctly. Yeah, we, we as Christians are only supposed to follow two commandments, love God and love neighbor. And honestly, I have seen plenty of Buddhists, plenty of, um, of Sikhs, of Hindus, um, plenty of atheists who are better Christians than some folks yeah. in the state legislature who call themselves Christian. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't it really doesn't take um, being belonging to a sectarian religion to love God or or love ultimate reality, however, whatever words you want to use to define that. And then from there, be able to extend that love to those around you, uh, from your your family, your friends, and your neighbors, especially your neighbors who are different than you are. Um, that's, that's at the root of our Christian faith. And it's also at the root of our democracy. And to me, a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-religious democracy is the closest thing we have 
to the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus described it, or to the beloved community, as Dr. King described it. Yeah, and you talk about that love. You started off um, in the beginning of this program talking about how love is not weak. And if we can just apply that to the concept of justice, which we talk about on this program a lot, I, of course, am engaged in my own legal battles against Donald Trump and his illegality. Um, and the Republican, his Republican defenders who, gosh, James, I just, I, I think of them, they, they, to me, are just representative of such a, such I think of the Bible passage where Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Because they have had opportunity after opportunity to renounce behavior that is destructive to our country, destructive to our fellow man. And they do not part ways with this man, this their dear leader. They continue to defend him. Um, they censured Adam Schiff last week. They call the indictments of Donald Trump with very, I mean, the, some of them are starting to break away, but for years, and they're going to have to do have some explaining to do on this point, have defended this man who has violated so many people. Um, and I think justice to me is is um, is actually an act of love. It's an act of love. It's holding our fellow man to a higher standard. And you, again, in the Texas legislature are at the heart of one of these acts of justice that has involved your Republican colleagues. One of the one of the few examples of them coming across the aisle to hold one of their own accountable. Can we talk for a minute about the Ken Paxton impeachment? Yeah, you know, I was just you were talking about the National Republican Party's yeah. uh, inability to hold former President Trump accountable here in Texas. My colleagues in the Texas House on the Republican side summon the courage to hold a corrupt public official accountable. And that's our um, indicted Attorney General Ken Paxton, who has been temporarily removed from office because of our decision to uh, impeach him in the Texas House, a bipartisan decision made by Democrats and Republicans. You know, that this gives me hope for the future of our democracy. And it's a reason why we should um, not give up on expecting more from our Republican friends, our Republican neighbors, and our Republican colleagues. Um, you know, there are um, good folks that I serve with in the House of Representatives, and too often I think that their goodness doesn't, tra doesn't translate to their public policy. I'm glad in this instance that it did, and that we came together and, and held him accountable through our, our impeachment vote. Yeah, yeah, I, I, hope that, I hope that national Republicans are watching. Um, because we, we used to we used to um, have more of this bipartisanship where when you when you're calling out um, you have to step away from the tribalism you're, and and also what it camp comes down to to me and I speak about this a lot I don't think that um, anybody defending Trump and calling it a witch hunt on his behalf is a friend of Donald Trump's yeah. because a friend tells you the truth someone who loves you tells you the truth they they the whole purpose of the criminal justice system is penitence reform to to make people renounce their destructive behavior behavior and become better people so justice is a, is a true gift for a ken paxton for a donald trump for anyone who has engaged in this kind of flagrant criminality and thinks that this is a way of life there's a much better way of life that does not destroy your own soul and harm other people yeah, you know, there's, I mentioned there being wisdom in all of our faith traditions, and there's a part of the 
Quran when um, they ask the Prophet Muhammad, how do you love a neighbor who is doing evil? And the Prophet Muhammad responded and said that you love them by stopping them from doing evil. There and that's exactly what, what you just mentioned. Um, and, and hopefully that's what our justice system can still do here in Texas with corrupt officials like Ken Paxton or at the federal level with corrupt officials like former President Trump. Yeah, I hope so. Speaking of the Republican field, if we can talk just for a minute, I know that uh, Ron DeSantis, now I have some theories on Ron DeSantis. I know he's the leading uh, candidate after Donald Trump. I don't I don't think he necessarily goes that far because I think I think he's he's showing himself to be not fit for this task of, of um, not to mention turning Florida into a fascist state, but not fit for uh, national um, candidacy either. But he was in Texas the other day. Uh, he had one of these, you know, typical border stunt um, campaign events where he was actually in a Texas DPS helicopter. And there's some serious questions about whether campaign finance laws were violated. I don't know if he's reimbursing the state of Texas for the use of this helicopter that he then put in a campaign ad. But um, this, this is such um it's really so, with all that the, the republicans have done governors like desantis and greg abbott to use um human beings as props in this game to score political points to make um our society fearful of our neighbors demonize them portray this as an invasion um this is absolutely it's unacceptable and we've, we've got to call it out, don't we, James? Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I mentioned that my granddad was um, a Baptist minister in South Texas. It was actually in Laredo, which is a city on our Southern border. And he taught me that we have an obligation to welcome the stranger and to love our neighbor regardless of immigration status. We have a broken immigration system in this country. And what people are hungry for is comprehensive, realistic solutions. And instead, we've got politicians like Ron DeSantis, who travel all the way from Florida to our southern border and grandstand and score political points and offer simplistic solutions to a complex problem. We deserve better than that in this conversation. And there's going to be no way for us to provide comprehensive immigration reform if we don't pursue serious solutions and listen to folks on the border because I have colleagues who live on the border and who have proposed real solutions that can maintain public safety and build a humane immigration system that reflects our values as a nation of immigrants. That's the kind of honest, um, thorough conversation this country deserves on immigration. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because that it, it is so complex. It is not easy to solve, but we do not start to solve it until we step back from this this political theater that gets absolutely nowhere. Um, and and so many people are hurt in the process. People um, searching for a better life. People in our own country that are suffering from you know the drugs that are crossing the border. There there's so many victims, and um, instead of offering any real solutions. They are just making plays to increase their own power and fear monger. That's right. You know, we've seen the deadly consequences of that rhetoric. Um, you may remember that in 2019, um, a young white man massacred yes. Mexican-Americans in El Paso, Texas, outside of a Walmart. 
And he did it because he believed there was an invasion of yes. Mexicans into the United States. And he heard that from politicians like Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. So words have consequences, especially when they come from our political leaders. And those consequences can be deadly as the folks in El Paso know, um, and as folks across the country are, are now realizing. Absolutely. And they know this. That's why that's why they're, you know, even as as I see some Republicans start to pivot away from Donald Trump, um, I'm I'm so keen to point out that their their rhetoric continues to be fascist all by themselves with or without him. And it's why it's to me, it has been such an important shift in my work to support the Democratic Party, um, because like I think you said in that speech last year, they the Democratic Party is the only thing standing between this country and fascism. It's all we've got. That's exactly right. And the Democratic Party, although imperfect, is a critical institution in this moment in our history. As you mentioned, it's the only thing standing between us and this descent into fascism and authoritarianism. And so we owe it to the country, to the country, to our, our fellow citizens to ensure the Democratic Party is the most effective, the most honest, uh, and the you know the most small D democratic organization that it can be, so that we can all engage in the struggle together and be able to win elections and and you know nominate and elect folks who believe in the rule of law who believe in a free press and who believe in this democratic experiment of ours well speaking of that work um i know you mentioned vouchers i know you've had some other really important um as you mentioned just successes or holding back bills do you is there anything else you'd like to highlight about your work in the Tex texas legislature james yeah, I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that I'm a former middle school teacher. I yeah. oftentimes joke that uh, teaching middle school is the best preparation for serving in the Texas legislature um, because if you ever watch the floor of the house, it can sometimes look a little <laughs> like a middle school. But um, but you know there is a, a a systematic attack on public education in this country and in this state. Texas is is the front line in this fight to save our public schools and save public education as an enterprise. What Greg Abbott is doing is trying to push these voucher scams that divert precious taxpayer dollars away from our public schools, which are, by the way, some of the most underfunded public schools in the country, take those precious taxpayer dollars and give them to unaccountable private schools, oftentimes religious schools, connecting back to our conversation about Christian nationalism. These vouchers are just another part of that Christian nationalist agenda. And, and that's gonna have devastating consequences here in Texas. They are pushing these voucher scams in the name of parent choice or school choice or educational freedom. And the reason I say these are scams is because the slogans sound good. They sound good. <laughs> and then you dig a little bit uh, below the surface and you realize they're just ripping you off. Um, this can't be about educational freedom because vouchers, one, don't cover the full cost of private school tuition, leaving working families to try to pay the rest, which they usually can't. These private schools do not have to provide buses or transportation to kids who, whose parents can't take them to school. And they, these private schools can deny admission to any kid for any reason they want. So public schools have to serve everybody and private schools don't. They also don't have to um, you know, be subject to transparency laws. You, you can't elect their school board members. You can't vote on their bonds. Um, 
you know, you can't uh, hold them accountable. And so for all of these reasons, uh, we have to defeat vouchers in the coming special legislative session, which Greg Abbott has called to ram this down our throats. We defeated this voucher scam in the regular session a few months ago, a bipartisan coalition of, of urban Democrats and rural Republicans came together to save our public schools. We have to maintain that bipartisan coalition and defeat these voucher scams in, in the months ahead. Yeah, and that's, uh, that reminds me as you're speaking of your work to um, fight back against their push to replace counselors with religious chaplains. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a bill uh, proposed that would have allowed school districts to replace school counselors, guidance counselors with untrained, unsupervised religious chaplains. Now, I mentioned that I'm in seminary, so I'm, I'm uh, in the mornings before I go to work, I'm taking classes alongside folks who are going to be chaplains in our, our prison system, in our hospital systems, in our armed forces. They're going to do incredible work. Yeah. Christian chaplains, Jewish chaplains, humanist chaplains. They're going to do amazing work to address people's spiritual needs, which are important. Human yeah. beings are are complex. We have we have material needs and we have non-material needs. Those should be met in these public settings. And chaplains are are sometimes really trained to meet those spiritual problems. But not all chaplains are. There are some chaplains who are ordained on the internet with no training. <laughs> However, this bill that was introduced would have allowed those internet chaplains to essentially work with our students who are experiencing mental health crises without supervision, without standards, without accountability, without oversight. I mean, I couldn't believe my eyes when I read the, the text of this bill, which was only about a paragraph long. And I tried to work with the author to put some regulations in place. You know, let's let's mandate the chaplains, if they're going to be in a school, let's mandate that they, um, you know, have a master degree. Let's make sure they come from an accredited organization, an endorsing organization like they do in the military. And let's make sure that they are um, uh, working alongside a counselor, not in place of a counselor, because right. counselors have to go through specific training. They are equipped to deal with students who have these mental health needs and chaplains aren't always equipped to do that. So um, I called out this bill on the House floor and I hope it's a it's a, an alarm bell for the rest of the country because you're probably going to see bills like this come into your town or your state sometime soon. And the last thing I'll say is that folks should be on the lookout for an organization called the school, the National School Chaplain Association. It's a Christian nationalist group that stated purpose is to, quote, infiltrate our public schools in the name of God. And the founder of that organization is a self-described former drug smuggling pirate saved by divine intervention. I'm not making this up. I wish I was. And this CEO, this, this former drug smuggling pirate, he says students don't need professional mental health counseling. He says they only need to be heard. He says he has a, a phone app which teaches people to pray with students who are suicidal. Now, I as a as a Christian sounds like, think, sounds like he's just trying to sell his phone app, maybe. Yeah, that's right. a grift. Yeah. I, I think prayer is important, but I would never substitute real professional mental health care with a prayer from a layman. 
I mean, this should be something that everyone um, finds disturbing, and I hope people keep well, that, an eye I mean, this, this is a whole thing about separation of church and state. I mean, this yeah. is something that that you you go home and you you embrace your faith tradition or lack thereof yeah. as you see fit. This is the public school is not the place for this because I mean, even me as a Christian, I'm like, what version of Christianity are you talking about? Because I don't want you indoctrinating my children with this nonsense that you believe in. That's right. So, that's exactly right. And that's yeah. and that's why we should again call out that these Christian nationalist proposals are not just unconstitutional, which they are. They're not only un-American, which they are, but they're also deeply I, un-Christian. And and they don't get to claim faith. They don't get to take that away from us. They don't they don't get to push their radical, hateful agenda in the name of our religion. So again, I want to put a call out to people of faith who may be watching to use your privilege, use your power to speak out and reclaim your faith and reclaim this democracy for all of us, regardless of our our religious beliefs. Amen to that. Amen to that. <laughs> um, James, thank you so much for joining us today on Lights On. It's such a pleasure. I, I um, said this to your team before. There is an open door for you anytime you want to come back on Lights On. We love having you. And um, I do like to, to echo what you just said. Um, I think that the country is hungering and thirsting for this, this reclaiming of what Christianity really means, whether you're Christian or not, just so, so our nation has the right example. So when we see the words faith and freedom, we're not really talking about tyranny and blasphemy, which is so often the case. Um, Amen to that. Thanks. Um, James Tallarico, please, uh, our luminaries, follow James if you don't already. Check out his YouTube page and subscribe there. Um, James Tallarico is going places. I'm not alone in this assessment. Um, to everybody, have a wonderful weekend. As always, if you'd like to support my legal efforts, you can do so at thejessicadenson.com slash donate, thejessicadenson.com slash donate. We have some more amazing interviews coming up um, in the next week and or, or two. Um, it's a holiday weekend. I hope you all have a wonderful uh, start to your July 4th weekend. Um, and much love to you all, as always. Uh -huh.